Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the monster in Maryland, Lawrence Banks. Let's get right to it. At 3.48 p.m. Sunday, May 12, 2019, Mother's Day, a body was found wrapped in trash bags and placed in a shopping cart near a dumpster at the Clark's Lane Garden Apartments in northwest Baltimore. The body was not immediately identified, and all police can say is that the victim is a black or Hispanic woman. Baltimore police released two photos on their Facebook page on May 16, 2019, asking for the public's help in identifying this unknown woman. In the photograph, there is a dumpster overflowing with bags of trash and some larger household items. And then there's the shopping cart, red-handled with black trash bags covering the contents. Police have tied a sheet to the front of the cart, ran it underneath, and flipped it up to cover part of the bags, presumably to hide the gruesomeness of the scene. However, in one photo, there appears to be blood dripping from the carton onto the sheet. Baltimore police ask anyone who may have seen the cart being pushed or anyone who has any information on the crime to come forward. Just looking at that photograph is heartbreaking. This woman was discarded like yesterday's trash. Who in the hell could be responsible for this and why? This post from the Baltimore Police Facebook page raises more questions than provides answers. The community is on high alert and everyone is wondering who the monster behind this could be and who the victim is. Days tick on with no identification of the victim and the community is even more at unrest. On May 21st, Baltimore Police released several pictures again on their Facebook page, a photograph of a tattoo of red lips located on the victim's buttocks, photographs of two men who they call persons of interest, and the photos of the shopping cart from the previous post. Again, they are hoping for some assistance from the public in identifying this victim. People in the community are so confused. I mean, why not release a sketch of the victim? Run her fingerprints? A tattoo on such an intimate spot isn't exactly ideal for identification purposes. Multiple times the question is raised on the internet by citizens and news reporters, but the Baltimore Police Department remains tight-lipped on why that is what they're going with to identify this victim. It doesn't make any sense. Until it does. According to the Baltimore Sun, family members of the victim recognized that tattoo and made a call to police and positively identified the victim as Dominique Foster. Can you even imagine... Learning the death of your own loved one from a news report or a social media post? This family member also reveals that they know who killed the beautiful Dominique Foster, and they accuse 65-year-old Lawrence Banks, Dominique's father. It is reported that Dominique lived with Banks and their apartment was in the 4,000 block of Clark's Lane, and that apartment was adjacent to the dumpsters where Dominique's body was found. 
Note in other reports, it said that Dominique was not actually living there with her father, but instead with her sister. And I honestly don't know either way, but what I do know is that Lawrence Banks was definitely living in that apartment. It's then that this story goes from bad to worse, and shocking details begin to emerge. It seems this tip from the family sparks the police to obtain a search warrant at the home of Lawrence Banks. On May 29th, police execute that search warrant at Banks' apartment and find blood, computers, cell phones, counterfeit money, a yellow raincoat, a pair of boots, and a 380 handgun with five bullets in the magazine. This, according to the affidavit obtained by the Baltimore Sun. Banks was arrested and charged with illegally possessing a firearm after that search. He was booked in the Baltimore City Jail. And while he wasn't yet charged with Dominique's murder, looking through the affidavit, it appeared that those charges were definitely coming. On May 30th, 2019, an article is published once again in the Baltimore Sun. It's then that we learn exactly why police couldn't immediately identify Dominique. She was dismembered. They report that according to two police sources, the body found in the shopping cart outside that apartment building was headless. Police at this point refuse to officially confirm that the body has been dismembered or even to confirm the victim's name. In a subsequent article, we learn that Dominique's hands, feet, and lower legs were also missing. It seems that whoever had done this was hoping her body would never be identified. A vigil is held at the site where Dominique's body was found on June 4, 2019. Family and friends gather bringing flowers and candles and praying with one another. WJZ 13 Baltimore was there reporting and spoke with attendees of the vigil who were absolutely devastated. Dominique Foster was remembered as a mother of six who absolutely adored her children. She was a dog groomer who loved animals. She was very close with her family, a woman with a bold, bright smile and a beautiful heart. It's obvious that Dominique was the kind of person that we need more of in this world. She was loved by so many. One of Dominique's daughters who did not want to be named because she feared for her safety spoke about her mother. We're just in disbelief. I still feel like she's going to call me. She was everything. She was my best friend. It was Mother's Day, remember? Let that sink in for just a moment. A beautiful mother of six was found dismembered next to a dumpster on Mother's Day. What should be a day of celebration for Dominique's children is now a nightmare and a constant reminder their mother was taken from them, and not only taken from them, but taken in an absolutely horrific way. If that's not tragic, I don't know what is. And just when you think this story couldn't possibly get any worse, surprise, surprise, it does. Turns out this is not the first time Banks has harmed Dominique. It's damn sure not the first time he's been suspected of murder. Hell, he's been convicted of murdering one of his children in the past. People seem to drop dead under suspicious circumstances around Banks. Why the hell was this monster even walking free in the first place? Lawrence Banks' criminal record will blow your mind. According to the Baltimore Sun, it all began just a few days after Christmas in 1975. Banks and his then-wife Vivian were at his mother's home when they began to argue. According to police reports obtained by the Baltimore Sun, Banks warned the women he was, quote, going to do something with this baby you'll both regret. Just moments later, the women heard a crash and glass shattering. They ran towards the sound coming from the hallway at the front of the house, and there, they find their seven-month-old daughter and granddaughter 
covered in blood on the floor and the glass door shattered. Vivian Banks scooped up her daughter and ran to John Hopkins Hospital, which thankfully was close by to where Lawrence Banks' mother lived. The laceration sustained by this baby required nearly two dozen stitches. A seven-month-old helpless baby who couldn't have possibly done anything to trigger that kind of reaction. What level of evil do you have to be to throw an innocent baby through a freaking glass door? That seven-month-old baby girl who survived a brutal attack at the hands of her father was none other than Dominique Foster. Banks was arrested and charged with assault with intent to disfigure for the attack on Dominique. Charging documents obtained by the Baltimore Sun reveal that Vivian Banks was afraid her husband Lawrence Banks would kill her or her children. And it seems those fears were realized when on April 27, 1976, before that assault case could be brought to trial and Vivian Banks, Dominique's mother, could testify, she was found hanging in a closet in an East Baltimore apartment. Her body had decomposed so severely that the medical examiner couldn't even determine a cause of death. To this date, no one has been charged in her death and the investigation remains open. Dead in a closet? You've got to be freaking kidding me. And while he was never charged, court documents reveal that the detectives investigating the death of Vivian Banks did believe that Lawrence had killed her. Charging documents in that case reveal that a little less than a year prior to her death, officers responded to a call. And police watched as Banks held an 8-inch steak knife to Vivian's throat and drug her into a house. Officers were able to persuade Banks to drop the knife and he was promptly arrested. Vivian told police that Lawrence had threatened to kill her. Banks was charged with assault with intent to murder. Unfortunately, Vivian later requested that the charges were dropped, and they were. Despite Vivian's death and inability to testify, in October of 1976, Lawrence Banks was found guilty of the savage attack on seven-month-old Dominique Foster. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison due to the severity of the injuries. In December of 1988, after serving 12 years of his sentence, he was released and it wasn't long before someone else was dead and he was back in prison again. According to the Washington Post, on November 19, 1991, Lawrence Banks and two other men, his brother-in-law Charles Pinnell and friend Michael Chisholm, spent a night drinking together. They went to Banks' home and looked at a map of Anne Arundel County and for whatever reason decided to drive some 20 miles from Baltimore to Pasadena early the morning of November 19th, looking for drugs or money. At about 2.30 a.m., the trio stopped to relieve themselves by the side of the road. That's when, for no apparent reason, Banks pushed Michael Chisholm, shot him once in the head with his 357 Derringer, and then placed the gun next to the victim's head and fired another round to make sure he was dead. Banks and Pinnell then drove off and left Michael Chisholm's body on the side of the road. Just hours later, Banks drove to the foster home where his 17-year-old son was living, his namesake, Lawrence Banks Jr., and shot him in the head as he cowered in a kitchen corner. A father is supposed to protect their children at all costs, but this piece of shit shoots his own son in the head while he cowers. Where in the hell is Dexter when you need him? According to documents obtained by the Baltimore Sun, Banks had learned just seven days earlier that Baltimore child abuse detectives had begun to build a case against him. At a custody hearing, Lawrence Jr. had reported that Banks had severely beaten both he and his sister. Dominique Foster confirmed Lawrence Jr.'s allegations and also reported that she had been raped by her father when he was drunk. 
after the murders, Dominique told detectives that her father had come looking for her at school and had threatened her on more than one occasion that she would meet the same fate as her mother. She feared that her father was going to kill her. In 1992, Banks struck a plea deal for the murder of Lawrence Foster Jr., in which he was sentenced in a Baltimore courtroom to 20 years. The prosecutor on that case, Sharon May, spoke to the Washington Post, stating that she hated the agreement, but really didn't have a choice but to accept it. She went on further to say that Dominique would have been an important witness in establishing the motive for Lawrence Jr.'s murder, but no one wanted her to have to testify against her father in the murder of her brother. Quote, the defense had to know we were just reluctant to produce her. It was more important to get him behind bars and get some justice. She also told the Post that she believed Anne Arundel County, the county in which Banks had killed Chisholm, had the stronger case. She thought that case was strong enough to put Banks away. But she would be wrong. A plea agreement was also reached for the murder of Michael Chisholm, and again Banks was sentenced to 20 years. But those sentences would run concurrently, meaning the most he could ever serve for a double homicide would be 20 freaking years. Such a slap in the face to these victims' families. Divide that up, and in reality, he's serving 10 years for each victim. That's absolute bullshit. The prosecutors in both cases kind of play the blame game on why justice was not served and how this man ended up with such a light sentence. Baltimore claims Anne Arundel had the stronger case. Anne Arundel claims Baltimore had a stronger motive and thus a stronger case. Why in the fresh hell does it matter which case is stronger? I mean, shit. If you ask me, they both are. You've got three friends in a car, one with a violent record who goes on to commit another murder that night, one dead and one driving. Seems pretty easy to figure out who pulled the trigger. It was obviously Bang's gun, but I mean, who am I? The murder of Lawrence Jr. Seven days after he testifies that his father has abused he and his sister, he ends up shot in the head? History repeating itself? Banks' first wife is found dead before she can testify against him in the trial where he literally threw a baby through a glass door and now the son is dead once he finally gets the courage to testify about the horrific abuse he was suffering. People dropping like flies around this guy and y'all want to argue about who has the stronger case? But what's even more infuriating is that this guy would not even serve 10 years in jail for the murder of two whole people. Banks was released under Maryland state law after only serving nine years, four months, and 18 days. You've got to be shitting me. Karen Poe, a spokeswoman for the prison system, spoke to the Washington Post and stated that Banks was not released on parole and authorities had no option under the law but to set him free when they did. She further stated that under Maryland law, inmates generally serve only two-thirds of their sentences. With credit for good behavior, they must be released earlier. Fall of 2002, Banks is set to be released from prison due to that good behavior. And once the prosecutor on the case for the murder of his son, Sharon May, catches wind, she immediately wrote letters requesting emergency gun permits for herself and a local woman who had custody of one of his children. Banks is a dangerous guy with no business on the street, and everybody knows it. He is released in October of 2002. Banks changed his name to Malik Samartini, got remarried, and moved to Laurel, Maryland. But a leopard doesn't change his spots. It didn't take long before Banks was abusing his new wife. Court records obtained by the Baltimore Sun reveal that Banks' new wife, Patricia, filed not one, not two, 
but three protective orders against him between 2003 and 2004. In May of 2004, Banks' second wife files assault charges in Anne Arundel County. According to the Baltimore Sun, she alleges he threatened to kill her, tried to suffocate her with a pillow, and then choked her with a vacuum cleaner hose saying, I must kill you. He then put a knife to her throat and told her he would dump her body in the river. Hmm, sound familiar? He spent nine months in the clink and then was found not guilty by a jury of his peers. I mean, who the hell are those jurors? It seems Banks' second wife was thankfully able to escape her relationship with him. And he moved on and found a new girlfriend, moved into a home with her, her daughter, Lisa Laverne Brown, and her baby granddaughter, Labria. On December 1st, 2006, Lisa Brown was granted a restraining order to protect herself from Banks, and according to the application obtained by the Washington Post, it was because Banks had became angry with her because he didn't want his girlfriend, Lisa's mother, to babysit her granddaughter, and that he slapped Lisa during the argument. Once the order was granted, sheriff's deputies tried at least three times to serve Banks with notice. The final time a deputy attempted to serve Banks was on December 12, 2006, at the home on Engelman Drive, where they were all living. Just hours later, at 12.15 p.m., people outside the house reported hearing shots. Officers arrived and found Lisa and her nine-month-old baby shot to death in that home. A nine-month-old baby shot to death. Let that sink in. Police begin investigating and notify Banks' parole agent, asking that Banks be held on any parole violations. They informed his parole officer of the protective orders Lisa Brown had obtained against Banks. The agent also found that Banks changed his address without notifying parole, another violation. Banks was arrested for the parole violations on December 13, 2006. On December 19, 2006, according to the Washington Post, Lisa Brown and baby Labria are laid to rest. Hundreds gathered and remembered the mother and daughter duo. Bryant Fogel, Labria's father, paid tribute to Lisa and Labria. She was my best friend. She worked hard to take care of our daughter. It's a shame that Labria didn't get a chance at life. I never got to see my daughter grow up. Leaders of Cornerstone Assembly of God also spoke and said that not only was Lisa committed to providing for her baby, but had learned sign language and had aspired to get involved in a ministry for people who are hearing impaired. Two more beautiful souls taken way too soon at the hands of a monster who should have never been out in the first place. Turns out Banks didn't notify his parole officers of his moves and multiple orders of protection against him had been taken out. Both are violations, and he could have been sitting in jail on December 19th, instead of senselessly taking two more lives. According to the AP, the parole board ordered Banks to serve out the rest of his sentence for the 1991 killings of Lawrence Jr. and Michael Chisholm. The parole commissioner at the time said while the murders of Lisa and Labria couldn't legally be considered in revoking his parole, there was way too much smoke for there not to be a fire, and he'd obviously violated his parole multiple times. Banks served the rest of his sentence behind bars. He has never been charged in the deaths of Lisa and baby Labria, and the case remains open. In 2014, he was released yet again after completing those sentences. So he did eventually end up serving the full 20 years, but not before being a suspect and the murder of two other people, one of them being a baby. Seems he lays low for a little while until Dominique is found murdered on Mother's Day in 2019. And the family immediately felt that Lawrence Banks was responsible. And it seems they were right. 
The Baltimore Sun spoke with Willie Foster, the husband of Dominique Foster, and he revealed that he and Dominique had been married for 19 years and that Dominique kept her family far, far away from the monster that was her father. They had only in the year prior to Dominique's murder moved to Baltimore so that Dominique could be closer to her sister. And it was only in the months prior to her death that Dominique had begun to reconnect with her father. Willie Foster goes on to say that family members had long predicted that Lawrence Banks would kill Dominique and that Dominique, quote, knew if she left this world, it would be by her dad. What a heart-wrenching statement for a daughter to make. On July 11, 2019, Lawrence Banks is officially charged for the murder of his daughter, 43-year-old mother of six, Dominique Foster. A few details start to come to light about Dominique's murder. According to court documents obtained by the Baltimore Sun, investigators had suspected Banks since the May 29th search of his apartment, a little more than a week after Dominique's body was found, and that officers had interviewed a neighbor who heard some arguing on the night of May 10th. Security camera footage was secured which showed a man with a limp and a white jacket pushing a shopping cart toward the lot where Dominique Foster's body was found. We know that Dominique's murder was freaking brutal, and from what I can tell researching this case, if police have found the rest of Dominique's body, it hasn't been revealed, and I believe it's unlikely that anything else has been found. Lawrence Banks sits in a Maryland jail awaiting trial, charged with first-degree murder, lesser-included second-degree murder, first-degree assault, lesser-included second-degree assault, and the disposal of a body and an unauthorized place for the murder of Dominique Banks. Lawrence Banks was able to commit two murders in separate counties and be released from prison, not to mention that it is believed he killed three other people before murdering Dominique. And I don't think it's too far-fetched to believe that there may be other possible victims that we don't even know of. A discussion about the laws in Maryland that allowed this to happen has been sparked. Truth in sentencing, as it is frequently known, has been an issue in Maryland and in other states around the nation. According to the Washington Post, a state commission found that on average, inmates serve little more than half of their sentences because of good behavior credits. Do you think that's acceptable? Because frankly, I don't. Good behavior in prison doesn't negate the fact that you committed a crime, and in this case, several particularly heinous ones. You should have to serve all the time. The fact that Banks was a good boy in prison means jack shit to the families of his victims, or anyone else for that matter. And while Lawrence Banks doesn't fit the typical description of what one thinks of a serial killer, by definition, that's exactly what he is. A serial killer is defined by the FBI as a person who commits at least three murders over more than a month with an emotional cooling off period in between. An article published by QZ.com details research conducted by Marissa Harrison, an associate psychology professor at Penn State. Harrison used media reports dating back to 1856 and compared 55 male and 55 female serial killers in the United States comparing everything from their victim's age to the perpetrator's education level, motive, and much more. What she uncovered was that while we typically think most male serial killers aren't related to their victims, for example, Ted Bundy, in reality, 9.1% of male serial killers that she studied, the victim was actually related to the perpetrator. 
that percentage was much higher for women serial killers, coming in at 58.2%. It's more common than even I thought. Lawrence Banks is an absolute monster who never deserves to breathe God's fresh air. Maryland does not have the death penalty, unfortunately. It was abolished in 2013 when Governor Martin O'Malley signed a bill outlawing it. The last execution took place in 2005, according to statelaws.com. That's just too bad, because if ever there were a case screaming for the death penalty, it's this one. The best we can hope for is that they lock Banks away and throw away the key. And the key spends the remainder of his pathetic life in a cage where he belongs, and that his victims can finally rest in peace. Dominique Foster was a mother of six who lost her own mom and brother at the hands of Banks, not to mention suffering his years of abuse and rape. Lawrence Jr. died trying to protect himself and his siblings from the abuse that this man perpetrated on his children. This family has suffered enough. Can you imagine losing three family members and the perpetrator being a member of that same family? Michael Chisholm was shot in the head for absolutely no reason that I or anyone else for that matter can find. He was just out with his so-called friends and shot twice in the head and left on the side of a darkened road. Lisa Brown and baby Labria were brutally murdered. Lisa Brown was a young mother at just 22 when her life was cut short. She was an active member of her church and had aspirations to serve in ministry. Baby Labria never got the chance to even grow up. A nine-month-old child brutally murdered. And for what? What do you say, Marilyn? Can we finally lock this monster up once and for all? I'd say it's beyond freaking time. There has been no major recent movement on Dominique Foster's case, but I will bring you updates as they become available. I'll post some more information, links, and photographs on both my Facebook page, at least of these, and my Instagram, at least underscore of these. I'll be bringing you a brand new episode next Thursday, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. Until next time, be good to each other.